Good morning. How are you doing today? Good. Awesome. So uh, the last few times that I've taught <clears throat> here at Grace Church, I've dealt with some very difficult subject matters like waiting on God and, and your wallet and how you have to learn to trust God with your money. And so today, because it's Memorial Day weekend, I thought maybe we'd just do a lighter sermon today. So what I'm going to deal with today is how you deal with difficult people in your life. So I thought that'd be a lighter subject for us to talk about. So um, we're going to start with the idea that everybody has something in common, that we have difficult people in our lives. Would you agree with that? And this is what the Bible says, this is so powerful, is that how I deal with difficult people is directly tied to my relationship with God. He makes it tied together. In fact, Jesus goes as far as to say that I am to love my enemy. And that is no small command. That is a huge command. And he ties that together with how I then respond to him and how he responds to me. And that is so crucial. So would you agree with me that loving my enemy, loving difficult people, is not just a nice subject matter, but it is essential it is monumental in our approach to living the Christian life out as God has intended us to live it out. Would you agree with that? So that's what we're going to deal with today. So this is, I would suggest, uh, you know, maybe it's just me, but I would suggest that you would um, lean in to this particular sermon because um, the reality is, is that this affects your prayer life, how you're dealing with difficult people, affects how God responds to you in prayer, affects how he blesses your life, and so this is so, so important. So I want to start here. So I, I, I know this is going to be hard for you to swallow, uh, and maybe some of you are going to reject what I'm about to say, but I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway because uh, uh, I love you. Did you know, I'm talking to you, not the person sitting next to you, did you, did you know that you personally are someone's difficult person? <laughs> you are. No exception. No exception. I know that you might think that everybody just loves you, but I'm telling you there are people that are talking behind your back. <laughs> and I'm telling you they're swallowing hard at who you are and how you do life. And I'm just saying, I, I'm the truth teller and... and uh, I'm, I just want you to know the truth that there are people today struggling with who you are. So let's start there because that is a very humbling thought to know that somebody is struggling with me and how I do life and how I live my life. And uh, because I believe that for me to be able to understand how to deal with difficult people, I need to understand humility in my life. And humility begins when I, when I understand who I really am and how people are responding to me. Does that make sense to you? You with me so far? All right. So I pray that right now that you'll just breathe in this prayer. God, please teach me something today. Open my eyes, open my heart so that I, I, um, I can really respond to your word in the right perspective. Sometimes, however, you know, when we're dealing with difficult people, it starts with humility, but sometimes when we are dealing with difficult people, there are times that attacks come to our way and they take us off guard. So I want to tell you a parable that kind of tells you how life works and then we're going to go from there. So a little bird was flying south for the winter and it got so cold that he couldn't fly anymore. 
So what he did is he found a field, he landed in the field, and he thought his life was over. Uh, it was a bad day for this little bird, and he was shivering, and all of a sudden, there was a cow that came, about, came upon him, and he dropped a pile of manure right on this bird's head. And he was thinking, man, can it get any worse than this? But then, as he was sitting there in this pile of manure, he realized, he realized that it was warm, and it was warming him up, and that soon that he would, be, he would be healthy enough and he would be warm enough that he could fly away. And so, as any good bird would do, he started chirping, because he had joy in his heart over this fact that this bad situation is now turning out good for him, and then all of a sudden, as he's chirping, a cat comes along. And I'm not gonna tell you the rest of the story of what happened, you can fill the blanks in there, and, uh, but here's the moral of the story. This is what I want you to see. Not everyone who drops manure on your head is your enemy. Just not your enemy. And not everyone who digs you out is your friend. You got that? Sometimes, even though it may seem bad, even though difficult circumstances happen, sometimes, in fact, almost all the time, God uses that difficult circumstance in our life to do something. And sometimes when people come along and try to help us and dig us out, that's not always what God has intended for our lives. So with that story, let's just dive right into it. I want to show you a Bible verse today because uh, here at Grace Church, we love the Bible. So uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, this is what it says. Strive, think about that word, strive for peace with everyone. How many? Everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The word strive there is a very interesting word, but I want you to notice first, before I explain that word, what that word means, I want you to notice that this is an imperative, meaning that it's a command. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't like a stop sign where it, you know, you're suggested to stop. This is a command. That was a joke, by the way. You're supposed to stop at stop signs. So this, however, is a command in Scripture. This is an imperative. It says that you are to strive for peace with everyone, even your enemies, even those who are your biggest critics, even those who hate you, even those who have no, no love for you at all. You are to strive within your power to have peace with everyone. And I'm just going to say, sometimes that is not possible, but your command, your command is for you to strive. So what does that word mean? It means to hasten. It means to run after, going hard after something with the intent to catch it. That's the command that God has for you. And it is tied, how much you strive to have peace with others is tied to your relationship to the living God. Now get that. That is so important for you to hear, for me to say, and for you to hear that this is tied to how God now responds to you as you strive to have peace with all men because we're to love our enemies because God is very clear about that. So where do you start? If I'm supposed to strive, run hard after with the intent to catch, how do I start? Where do I start with that process? Well, let me remind you of something that's so important. We are no longer in the Garden of Eden. That's where you start. We're no longer in the Garden of Eden. This is Reno. And in Reno, and in Reno, Nevada, there are difficult people that we're going to deal with every day. Some of those difficult people are in this room in your life, okay? 
and I might be one of them. That's okay. I'm, I accept that. I'm, I'm my most difficult person at, that I have to live with every day. So I remind myself it's not the Garden of Eden. This isn't the Garden of Eden. And understand, difficult people are used by God. <laughs> this is so good. I just love when the Bible's true, don't you? And it always is true. Difficult people are used by God to sanctify you. That's the truth. God uses three tools to change our lives. Maybe more than that, but these are the three tools that I know of. First of all, he uses the Bible. The Bible is a very good tool for us to use, and God uses the Bible to change our life. Amen? He also uses difficult circumstances in our life. Sometimes we get a pile of manure dumped on our head. God uses that to sanctify us. He uses that to change our life. And the third thing that God uses to change our life is difficult people. He uses that to sanctify us, to set us apart, to, sh- to make our lives different than it was before. It helps us take one step closer to Jesus. And how we respond to difficult people makes all the difference in the world. So Winston Churchill, you all know him, right? Winston Churchill last, was in his last year of office and was tending a ceremony. Several rows behind him were some people that weren't very nice and they, they said, they were talking among themselves loud enough for Winston Churchill to hear this and said uh, basically that we hear that Winston Churchill is becoming senile in his own age, in his old age. And so when the ceremony was over, over, Winston Churchill turned to these men and said, in a spirit of gentleness, he said, gentlemen, they also say he's deaf. <laughs> now think about that. So... Difficult people are going to be used, and how we respond to them is, makes all the difference in the world. So what makes a person difficult? How do I identify difficult people in my life? There are several different ways that we can identify them. Sometimes what makes a person difficult is their ignorance, right? We live in a culture that's fairly ignorant on a lot of stuff. And sometimes ignorance, people just don't know the truth. And so oftentimes there's ignorance in their life and that makes them hard to deal with. Anybody ever experienced that in this world? Come on now. Ignorance makes it difficult to sometimes brush up against people. And then, and my, what I struggle with the most is in the, the idea that what makes people difficult is people who are insecure because insecure people are people that attack you on a regular basis because they attack you because they want to make themselves secure. They want to make themselves look better and you look worse because somehow, some way, that makes them feel better about their already miserable life. So insecure people are very difficult people to be around. And I want to just suggest that we live in a very insecure world. So as a result, all you have to do is go on social media and you'll discover that people are attacking one another, right? Come on. I mean, that's, you know, there's arguments and there's, you know, I mean, it's a very unhealthy place to be sometimes. And then there's another idea. What makes somebody unhealthy is the idea of jealousy. Sometimes I just am jealous at, you know, what God has done in your life and how he's prospering you. And I look at my life, my pitiful life, and I look on Facebook and social media, and I'm going, man, my life isn't that good. And it's just not. I mean, you know, you're, picture, you're posting your pictures of Maui, and I'm going, I like to be there. <laughs> right? And you're posting your pictures of, you know, wherever else you've been in the world, and, and uh, you're sipping wine, and you're eating crackers, and I'm going, man, would I like a life like that? I mean, that's not my life. And so sometimes jealousy take, takes over, and pretty soon now, if I'm jealous, I'm going to be 
kind of unkind to the people that I'm jealous of because, again, it makes me feel better. And then sometimes the reason people are difficult is because they're just downright evil. And we're going to talk about how we respond to evil people in just a minute. But just note today, note right now, that sometimes, I mean, we live in a culture that is black and dark, and it is it, without the light of God's gospel shining on it. And oftentimes, because of evilness in our culture, there are just bad things that happen to really good people. There are four kinds of difficult people. Four kinds are, the first kind is what I'm going to call hypocritical people. These are people that say one thing, they say they love me while they're sticking a knife in my back, right? You know, they're saying one thing to my face and another thing at the water cooler or another thing to their friends, and, and uh, I get that, I understand that. And so sometimes what makes people evil and what the kind of person they are is they're hypocritical. But here's the thing that you need to remember. You, <laughs> this is so good. I'm just going to tell you right now, you're a hypocrite. Okay? Can I just say that out loud? Shane's the nice one. I'm the guy that just says hard things to you, okay? <laughs> so here's the thing. You're a hypocrite. You know why I say that? Because you're not yet practicing everything you know to be true. Is that not right? So you're saying one thing with your mouth. You sing one thing to God. And then on the other side of your mouth, you're saying, you know, anybody here ever gossip? Come on. Church, we have to tell the truth. Anybody here gossip this week? Nobody's raising their hand. I, thank you in the back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you didn't leave me out there. I mean, come on now. We are, you know, we have this propensity to feel the need to speak about people. And I don't know why, but sometimes it's just not right. And, and uh, we, so sometimes we gossip and sometimes we, we just say one thing and do another thing. That's hypocrisy. And by the word, the word hypocrisy comes from a word, literally a Greek word, which literally means to act. Sometimes we're just playing the role of a Christian, but in reality, you and I look in the mirror and we know what we're really like. We know the hatred and bitterness and we know the, the resentment sometimes in our soul and yet we come to church and we act as if it's okay and we're okay. So there's the hypocrite. And we have to love hypocrites because the church is filled with them. Jesus had them. He was the only one that wasn't a hypocrite. Everybody else, I mean, Peter said, I'll never deny you. And then he denies him just hours later. So we're hypocrites, and that's okay. If you're looking for a church that has no hypocrites in it, then you probably should not come to church because the church is filled with hypocrites, right? But we're hypocrites in progress. And that's, a, that's, that's the key word, progress, there. And then there's, this is, my, this is the kind that I struggle with the most. There are people who manipulate there's the, there are the, the, the people that, the, the hard person that I have to deal with that just try to manipulate. They want something from me, so they say the things to me that makes them believe that somehow, some way, I'm going to give them what they want. There's the people that are manip manipulative. That was easy for me to say. And then there is the critical person. That's what we're going to deal with today. Uh, primarily, we're going to deal with all of them, but I want to just simply say that the, a hard person to deal with are people that say one thing to you, to your face, and then behind your back are nothing but critical about who you are and what you're doing. The critic. And sometimes they say it to our face. So we're going to talk about when do we listen? When do we not listen? When do we respond? When do we not respond? 
And so I think that will be very helpful to you. There are two, and by the way, there's one other class, uh, and that is the needy. Those are the people that cling on to you. They're hard to deal with because you're saying, come on, just give me some space here. Don't grab on too, too hard here. I need, I need some space. So there's the needy person uh, who is difficult. There are two wrong responses to difficult people. The first wrong response uh, basically is the idea of to curse them, to curse them. How dare you? So that, there's that response and just being op- openly critical to the, them back. And then we nurse, sometimes we nurse them. That's a wrong response. We don't tell them the truth. We live a, a lie and we just live with the pain without ever, ever figuring out how to deal with what is true and what is right and what is good. So what is the right response then? Well, the Bible says, again, I want to remind you of the commands. Remember that word strive? Strive for peace. How do I do that? Today, let's focus on the critic in your life. So I want to answer a series of questions that I think will be helpful to you. So the first question is, is that when do I listen to the person? By any, just curiosity, anybody here have people that no matter what you do, it's never enough. There's always something that you lack. Anybody like that? Have people in your life like that? Okay. Uh, I'm just saying it's a real deal. So how how do I deal with them? So when do I listen? In every case, you listen to them except when they're evil. And I'm going to explain that in just a minute. I'm going to show you that the Bible says both in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant that if there's someone who is habitually evil, I am under no obligation before God to listen to their criticism in my life. But here's what I need to know. 5% of even my worst critics are, are typically right. I mean, 5% of their criticism is going to land, and they're probably grabbing something that's true about my life. So at some level, it's kind of hard to f- work your way through that. So let's talk about it. Proverbs 15.31 says this. this. The wisest man in the world wrote this. Proverbs 15.31 says, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Let me say that to you again, because this is, grab a hold of this. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. You want to be wise? You've got to listen to life-giving reproof. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. You want to be stupid? You just don't listen. That's what that verse says, right? Am I I misreading that verse? If I want to just be dumb... I just don't listen to people around me. I don't listen to any criticism. I just go through life with blinders on, thinking somehow, someway, I've got this all figured out and nobody can help me, right? But if I listen to life-giving reproof, the Bible says that I'm gonna gain intelligence and I'm gonna not be as ignorant as I possibly could be. So when do I answer? So we, we listen in every case except when there's evil, And so the question then is, when do I answer somebody who is, when do I defend myself? When do I, when do I step up and say, wait a second, I want to, I have, I have a response to that. When do I do that? That's a good, great question, right? Because I want to do it all the time. So when do I do that? I do that when a person is missing information. Let's start there. So I want to tell you a story that will help you draw this out. So a man and his dog were walking on the beach and the owner of the dog was so proud of the dog's newly mastered feet. So this is what happened. He, he looked at a visitor and he says, watch this. 
So he takes a piece of driftwood, he's next to the ocean, walking down the beach. He takes a piece of driftwood and he throws it as far as he can. And his dog walks on the water, runs on the water, out there fetches the driftwood and runs back. And the visitor just dropped his jaw and said, wow, I can't believe that. So he says, watch this again. So he takes the driftwood, throws it out. The dog walks on water, runs on water, and uh, brings the driftwood back. And uh, this visitor was dumbfounded, couldn't believe what he was seeing. And uh, so the guy who owned the dog said, did you notice anything? Did you notice anything? And uh, the visitor replied, "Um, yeah, I did. Your dog can't swim. (laughs) So here... Here's a, here's a guy who's missing some information. So when someone is missing information, it's okay for me to respond back and say, can I give you a bigger picture of what you're seeing? Notice my words. When someone doesn't have the full picture of something, it's okay to fill in the blanks so that they have a bigger picture because oftentimes People are just looking at glimpses and making a judgment call on your life without having all the facts put together. Happens all the time. So it's okay to respond to them when they don't have all the information. So when do I answer? When I believe that the person that I'm talking to that's criticizing me is open for change. That somehow, some way that I can help them make an adjustment in their life. I give a response. See, it's not about me. If I'm just defending myself because my ego is hurt, that's the wrong motive. I mean, my ego needs to get hurt oftentimes because that's how God changes my life. So when it's not about me, when I'm making it about them, that's when I respond back. When I sense that they are open to change, then I, can, then I can respond back and help them see something, respond differently, and help them along in their journey with God. That's okay. That's a good way to respond. Uh, when do I answer back? When I sense that I need to seek someone's forgiveness. When I sense that there's an offense, then I respond back and say, I'm so deeply sorry. I, I don't make excuses. I just said, my bad. I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? So that's when I respond back is when I sense that I need to seek their forgiveness. Uh, that is a really good reason to respond back. When do I ignore criticism? There's a time to ignore criticism. There is a time to ignore it in three circumstances. This is good stuff, by the way. There are are three times when I should ignore the critics in my life. Number one is when a person demonstrates an habitual critical spirit. When they demonstrate that this is a person that, you know, they they see the glass half empty all the time. Nothing is good enough. A habitual critical spirit. Then I'm just going to ignore that because there's nothing I can do to please them because no matter what I do, it's never going to be enough. It'll never be enough. So I, I ignore them when they demonstrate an habitual critical spirit in life. I ignore them when a person is emotionally unhealthy or wounded because that person too is operating out of a sense of a wound. I mean, it's like an animal that's wounded is very dangerous, right? An animal that gets caught in a trap, you go up and say, hey, nice little wolf, you know? That's not a good choice. (laughs) 
That's not a good choice. This animal is going to be very angry and mean. And so when do I ignore this person is when I sense that they're emotionally unhealthy in life. And uh, so let me tell you a story that kind of helps unpack that. So Ben Kingsley, the Academy Award-winning actor who starred in movies like Iron Man 3, Schindler's List, Gandhi, amazing actor, could never get his parents' approval of his career. And the reason for that is that they wanted him to be a doctor and not an actor. And so they were always, not only were they not approving of his decision to be an actor, they openly mocked his decision to be an actor, his parents, because they were living out of their own sense of wound or expectation and not saying what's best for him. That's emotionally unhealthy. So how then do I know if someone is emotionally unhealthy? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, 15 verse 10, it says this. He, this is Jesus speaking. And he called the people to hear him and said to them, hear and understand this. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, uh, this defiles the person. So when I'm listening to somebody and I can see words of defilement, when I can see that, when I can hear that, and I can see that clearly, that out of their mouth is coming things that just aren't right, and, you know, if you listen long enough, you'll see it. So when someone is emotionally unhealthy, I have the opportunity not to listen. The third circumstance is when a person is just evil, factious. So in Titus chapter 3, verse 10, this is what it says. For a person who stirs up division, notice those words, for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. That was Paul speaking. The one that wrote 1 Corinthians 13 that says love is, endures all things, love is kind, love is gentle, love is all this. He writes to Titus and he says, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is, is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So someone who is genuinely evil, I'm not responsible to God to listen. Now here's the key to receiving criticism. Again, I want you to Understand, I have to put on you, to receive any form of criticism, I have to put on an act of humility. I've got, I've got to put on, not an act, that's the wrong word. I have to put on humility. I have to put on humility to receive anything because I've got to put my ego aside and I've got to recognize that God wants to grow me. So I've, I've got to understand that. You with me so far? So how do, then I, re, how do I receive criticism? Well, one major principle that I put into place in my life is simply this. I can't please everybody. Who does God want me to please? And that's him. I can only please one. I have to, I have to live for an audience of one. That's Jesus, right? For God himself. So I'm not going to please everybody. So I have to put that as the backdrop. And then I have to respond in accordance with that humility. I'm only here to please God. And maybe God wants me to hear this. So have anybody here ever heard of a guy by the name of George Whitfield? Old dead guy. And I did a survey in the, you know, of the people that work at Grace here uh, earlier this morning when we were in a meeting. And I said, how many of you all know George, who George Whitfield is? And out of the people that I surveyed, nobody knew who George Whitfield was. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I've got to instruct the church who George Whitfield is because this is so good. George Whitfield 
lived in the 1700s. Died when he was 50-some years old. Old dead guy. And he, God used him as the person who initiated and was a part of the first great awakening in America. Through this man, the Spirit of God swept through the colonies. I mean, people were crying out. They were repenting of their sin. People were getting saved everywhere. I mean, it was a great awakening, and it was amazing. It's everything any Christian would ever dream of, of watching a world turn upside down and receive Jesus Christ. That was George Whitfield. As you can imagine, somebody of that caliber had some enemies, right? He made some enemies along the way. And so on one occasion, somebody wrote him a letter and pointed out some major grievances they had with George Whitfield and some sins that they felt that were in his life. And, and I've received some of those letters myself along the way. And uh, so, I mean, I can only imagine I'm not George Whitfield. He was of renown, and so he got a lot of those kind of letters. So this is how George Whitfield responded to this letter of criticism of his life. He said, he wrote back in a loving way, and he said, if you only knew the half of it. I mean, I could tell you stories, is what he was saying. I could tell you, if you only knew what the real truth was, you wouldn't, you, you know, this is nothing compared to what I know about myself. That's the spirit that you approach life with. And then he wrote, loving George Whitfield. And, uh, and I'm sure that it silenced some of his enemies. So I start with the idea, if I'm going to receive criticism, I start with the idea that I've got to put on humility and I've got to recognize that I'm going to introduce a word to you right now that I... Don't miss this. Have you been sleeping? Wake up. <laughs> I am the villain in God's story with me. That's where it starts. I'm the villain. I'm not the hero. It's not about me. It doesn't center around me. I'm the villain in the story. See, here's the thing. <laughs> this is so good. I was God's difficult person. So are you. He had a problem with you. God had a problem with you. And the way he solved that problem was he sent his son to die for you at your weakest moment. When you were without hope, when you were acting out in your weakest time, you are not the hero of this story. You are not the hero in your story. You are the villain. And the sooner that you understand that, the better off you are. How do I deal with difficult people? I recognize that I'm the villain. Now that produces a major amount of humility in my life as I think about as I think about the fact that I'm the villain in God's story. And the purpose of difficult people, the purpose that God brings them into my life is to make me more like Jesus. Sanctifies me. It's his tool. He's using these difficult people in my life to change how I think. And so don't say that person bothers me or I don't like that person. Just simply say, this is the story that you should be telling yourself. This person is God's tool in my life to sanctify me and make me more loving. That difficult person, that's your enemy, is God's tool in your life. That person that is just, every time you see them, I know that there are people in your life that every time you see them in the grocery store, you walk the other way. Because I follow you around, I know these things. <laughs> and so understand that. Approach it from that perspective. And the way that you can do that is to recognize that you are the villain in God's story with you. You are, you are the villain that God has redeemed, yes. 
He's the hero. God is the hero. You're not. You are not the hero in this story. You're not the hero. I'm not the hero in this church. It's Jesus Christ. He's the hero. I'm the villain. I'm the villain. And the more that I understand that, I'm a villain that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, but I'm still the villain. I'm a villain with a purpose. I'm a villain that God has redeemed. And get this, get this. This is so good. This is worth the prices of admission. I am not the victim. I'm not the victim. I am not the victim in my story. I'm not, I'm the villain. I'm not the victim. And so we live in a culture that wants to victimize themselves. They always want to see themselves. I'm the victim in this story. Do you see that in our culture? I hope you see it in your own life because it's true. Anybody here felt sorry for yourself? Come on, you're making yourself the victim in your story. And I think, honestly, that if anybody is qualified to step on this stage and talk about not being a victim, it's me. And I say that with great humility. Because 18 months ago, I got my life ripped away from me in an illness. And I could have been, I could have played the victim card. I could have said, I'm the victim in this story. God, where are you? I'm the victim here. Five to six months ago, I lost my son in a tragic death. I'm not the victim. I'm not the victim in my story. That's why I say, that's why I'm telling you, you're not the victim in your story either. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care where you're at. I don't care who's angry at you. I don't care what's going on in your life. I'm telling you, by the grace of God, listen to me carefully, you are not the victim. That divorce you went through that you're still angry and bitter at, you're not the victim. That death you had in your family, you're not the victim. That friend who betrayed you, you're not the victim. It starts when you recognize, you get on your knees before God and you say, I'm the villain. I'm the villain in my own story. And when you do that, God moves in. When you do that, God moves in. You are the villain in your own story. And that statement gives you the power to then deal with very difficult circumstances. When you see yourself as the victim, as the, as, as the villain, not the victim. It gives you the power then to face whatever needs to be faced. I'm telling you, this is the truth. This is the gospel. The gospel story is the story of the hero of heaven. The hero of heaven emptying himself of the right to be regarded as that hero. Going to the cross and dying for my sin because he saw me as the villain and yet he redeemed me and for I'm forever grateful that he redeemed this villain I'm forever grateful so here's what I want you to say with me out loud listen to me carefully say it out loud there's something about saying words out loud that have impact on our own soul I am not the victim say it with me I am not the victim say this with me I'm the villain in God's story. I'm the villain in God's story. I'm a redeemed vi vi villain by the blood of Jesus. And I will forever be his servant because he's redeemed this villain. And as I approach life that way, it gives me the ability 
to confess my sins to others because I know that I'm the villain in my story. It gives me the ability to forgive others because I know that they're villains too. No difference. We're just, we're just villains bumping up against each other. And there's a hero in this story. The hero in this story is Jesus Christ who emptied himself and made it all real for us. So the truth is, it's not church that redeems you. It's not religion that redeems you. It is the blood of Christ. But it doesn't happen. If you're here today and you've never crossed that line of faith, listen to me carefully. The church can't save you. Religion can't save you. The only one who can save you is the hero of the story. And he lived 2,000 years ago, went to the cross and died and rose again. That's the story of the, cry, of the cross. And so I'm going to ask you a question. You and me, eyeball to eyeball, I'm going to ask you a question. Who do you need to forgive? Who are you holding on to as if somehow, some way, you're the victim in your story? Who are you holding on to with anger and resentment in your heart? Do you know how contradictive that is to the gospel story? It's a contradiction to the gospel story that you would consider yourself a victim and hold on to bitterness against someone else. That is just so counterintuitive when you understand the gospel. Does this all make sense to you? This is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to say, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Accept your role and learn the principle of loving my enemies. And the only way that I can do that is if I, I don't see myself as a victim, I see myself as well as my enemy as the villain. So then two villains can work this out. Two villains can work this out. And this, my friend, you'll spend $100, $100 an hour in counseling to figure out. I'm telling you it for free. <laughs> I am. Because people will go and pay 100 bucks an hour to have someone say, yeah, I'm sorry, you're, you're just the victim here. And I'm going to tell you, it's broken. It won't work. It's not going to help you. It's just not going to work. May the grace of God open your eyes so you can see the truth of the gospel story. It's not just, a, it's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's alive and vibrant right now, and it's how we live our lives. And it's how we attract others to the story of the gospel as well. Lord God, I thank you for this day. I pray, God, earnestly for everyone hearing my voice, whether online or here, God, that you would take my words and use them for your glory. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen. I'm not the victim. <laughs>